0: To cast.
1: Let me just read the dedication of the book so that they have it in full context. I dedicate this book to each and every business owner I've crossed paths with along the way. You've all taught me something. Some of you taught me exactly what it means to have meaningful relationships where we can high five. Some of you taught me about business. Some of you even broke bread or had a few drinks with me. And some of you, yeah, I never called you back because you just wanted to pitch me some service you had. And what that really taught me
0: Hey everyone, we're back with another episode of the Think Business with
2: Tyler podcast show. Today's guest is Matt Ward. Matt is a successful business owner that has been helping other entrepreneurs grow their business, gain more clients, and improve their bottom line. Matt began his journey of owning businesses back in 2002 when he started his own digital marketing agency. And after 16 years of managing and building it, he decided to exit the business and sell it to one of his employees. Now Matt is a speaker and author with his latest book, The High Five Effect, How to Do Business with People Who Bring You Joy. In this episode, we chat about what freedom really means to business owners, how most screw up the referral process what Matt calls a pitch slap and why it doesn't work, and why giving is the right mindset for business relationships. You're going to learn a lot here from Matt and you're going to laugh too along the way. So let's get going. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today?
1: I am great, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I've got a bunch of exciting questions to learn more about you and learn from you. Where, where I like to start with, Matt, is tell us what you do now.
1: I'm a business coach, effectively, but really what I like to tell people is I'm a referral consultant. So what is that? I help service-based business professionals get more referrals in their service-based business. So I help them build better relationships with people, more deeper, more meaningful relationships, so that they, as a business owner, are thought about and get referrals from their entire contact database on a consistent and regular basis.
2: Yeah, that's such an important topic. Before we get into that in detail, I'd love to talk about... You had an agency business. I'd love to hear the story behind it. You ultimately sold it. As I understand it, it wasn't really fulfilling you. Can we get into that story? Can you share share the story behind it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started a a web design agency back in 2002, part-time. I got laid off in 2004 took a contract job with Lycos.com for whatever. Actually, that was laid off in 2003. I took a contract job with Lycos, stayed there a little over a year. And then in January of 2005, took my company full-time and uh, thought it was going to be everything I could ever want, need. I thought I was going to have more money, more time, and more freedom. And I got none of those things, right? And so um, I started to grow and add employees, and we scaled up and then pulled back in the 2008 economy. We rebranded in 2010 and then grew from there to the point of 2018 where I sold it. And the reason, you know, there are always challenges, right? You're always chasing the next website. And I had modified the business in quite a way where the majority of the revenue was coming in as recurring, which was amazing. And I had an amazing team. I had no problems with my team whatsoever. I didn't dislike working with my, my staff at all. What I disliked was that the business had a hold on me right? It's one of those things where you talk to a lot of small business owners and and you're married to your business. You're tied to your business. It, it basically is your identity. And that's a huge issue for many small business owners. It does a lot to the relationships, the, their family relationships and their friendships and things like that. And, um, and what I found was that the majority of my friends who were other business owners who I was hanging out with in the networking worlds and things like that. And so I got to the point in 2018 where I just kind of had had enough and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to sort of impact more people. And so I sold the agency to one of my employees who I happened to have met in a networking event years ago, a networking group. He had joined me and worked for me for, I don't know, maybe seven or so years, I guess, or or maybe even longer. I sold him the company and the next day became a full-time professional speaker traveling the country talking about referrals. And I felt like I could impact more people that way. And I didn't need a big staff and I didn't need the big salary, you know, the big numbers of revenue coming in every month to make payroll and all these other things. And, you know, and it was just it was just a different life. And it's something that I really desired. I didn't I grew something that was this at this infancy. And it turned into something so great, it blossomed. And, and you know, the company's doing better than ever now that I'm not there, which is very much what happens with business owners a lot of times. Right. And I couldn't be happier for them. And I'm super happy for myself because now I live my life by the definition of freedom. I get to do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. I don't take clients who aren't a good fit for me anymore. I don't take clients for money if you want to block time in my calendar as part of the arrangement, then we're not a good fit. And I will refuse your money no matter how much you're willing to pay me. I just It's just of no interest to me. And uh, open availability in my calendar is the most important thing to me these days. And so I think that's what I didn't have before. And, and to be honest with you, Tyler, at the end of the agency run in 2018, I was only working three days a week. People were looking at me saying, I want to know how to do that. And... I was very good at implementing that. And now as a solopreneur doing it all by myself with some back office help, I still have those challenges of partitioning my time off freedom days, I call them to ensure that, that I'm not allowing my calendar to get out of control, you know, because if you leave it open and people can schedule in your calendar, it's amazing what will happen. So yeah that's that's the story of the agency, and sort of why I wasn't fulfilled as much is because I just it, it was controlling me more than I was controlling it. I feel like
2: wow, there's so much to unpack there. I want to start with you mentioned this a little bit or I caught it. you sold your business and you created something from nothing when you actually sold it did you was there like a euphoric feeling of like creating something and then having value and actually selling it? I'm curious if you had that feeling
1: you know. Yes. I would say yes is the answer. I've also been asked if I ever regret it. And I say, no, not a yeah. single day. It's one of those things where I made the decision fairly quickly. Actually, I think I made the decision within four weeks to sell it to one of my employees. And I had kind of done a lot of thinking before that, but you know, people ask me if I missed it, if I had this sort of separation anxiety type of thing. I did not. And, um, it was a refreshing feeling. It was a lot of stress. So when you own a company in which you employ people, a lot of people may not realize this who are listening to this, but it comes with a great deal of stress. The stress is that every, you know, look, we expect our people to perform and pull their weight. And when they don't, we let them go. But on the other hand, we don't always let them go early enough, or we don't always have the right people. Or as Jim Collins said, we don't have the right people on the bus are the right people in the right seats. And so you're responsible for that. You're responsible to ensure that these people, that there's enough cash in the business to pay these people, regardless of whether or not other people are performing their roles, right? Because you have production people and you have salespeople. And the salespeople always struggled in our business. And, and you'll hear that a lot with a lot of small business owners is that nobody will sell as great as them. And that's 100% true. But oftentimes we expect them to. And the ramp up times are different. We think that they're shorter and they're really longer, you know. And so there's a, just a lot of stress around the financial aspects of running a business with staffing that I no longer had. And so it was a euphoric feeling. And I can look back and I can say, you know, I didn't sell a company that was in distress, that was where people were going to lose their jobs because the company was going to come in and cut this or cut that. I sold it to an internal employee where everybody was working together. They feel comfortable and they're still all together. And so I think that's a great thing. They're thriving and, and it's a very, very powerful thing. It's kind of like, it's hard to uh, give this analogy because I don't have kids of my own, but I imagine it's like raising your kids and then having them leave the nest, right? You do get a euphoric feeling. You get a excited feeling that now you're now you're an empty nester, but on the other hand, that you've done well, that you've performed well, that you've got them to the point where they can live on their own. And that's kind of what this was like. And it was really great. And then there was obviously a value attached to that. Unlike when your kids leave the nest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where there might be a tax.
1: <laughs> you don't get that money back. Yeah.
2: You know, I'm curious, you and I know your thing is really heavy on networking and relationships. So before I get there, something you said caught my attention. You you really talk about being responsible for employees and, and that that heavy burden of of just being able to provide payroll and providing for your employees as if they were a family member. I get that a lot with business owners. Like that often is just a stress. I mean I have clients that I told them I was only getting part time hours, but I feel guilty I'm not giving them more hours. And there's just all these burdens related to having their staff In your opinion, what's the way to deal with that? Like, how do you reduce that burden for companies that are going to have employees? I mean, it's inevitable if they're going to grow, they're going to need staff. And to get that freedom in their business, staff is usually part of the equation. you have any thoughts or?
1: It always is. And at the end of the day, the way you release the burden is by having enough cash in the business, in the bank, so that there is no burden. If you had, so early on, we were always a, Paycheck to paycheck type of company, right? Many small businesses are. You might have a paycheck, a payroll and a half, let's say, in the bank. So you can make this week's payroll and then, you know, you're collecting accounts receivable the next couple of weeks to make the next payroll. And what we learned somewhere along the way between my GM, Mark, and myself, Mark is now the owner, is that we needed to plan ahead better. And one of the ways we did that was we started swiping, I want to say it was like 10%. So we rounded up our payroll and then 10%, we would swipe every single week. And over 10 weeks, we would have an extra payroll. So what we did was we put this into a payroll savings account because we paid every other week. Well, when you pay every other week, twice a year, you get hit with that third payroll right? And so you become immediately cash poor or you pull from your line of credit and backfill that. And so that was what the stress was. And so what we started to do when we had that sort of light bulb moment was we pulled 10% for 10 weeks. Now we had an extra payroll. And then what we did, we stopped it. And I, as I recall, we stopped, this was many years ago, but but then eventually we had a conversation said, you know what, let's just keep this going, right? Let's just kind of build this up so that we're never not. And then the idea was to get two to three payrolls ahead in the payroll account, right? So you want to have enough cushion. And any person who's on, you know, of any financial mindset will be thinking about this and telling you about this. But I was not. I was not good with that. And so I just, I just avoided numbers because I like the pictures of numbers better than the numbers themselves, you know? So I want to see a bar chart with the numbers going up in the account, not so much the actual numbers in the account.
2: I get it. No, that's super creative. I love to hear how you built your operating capital to get, get comfortable in meeting your payroll and not having that stress. What a, what a creative way of dealing with it. I do want to segue now. This is your second book. I, I believe it's releasing. Is it releasing this month or next?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It releases uh, released October 26th. Awesome. It's on Amazon. It's called The High Five Effect. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the high five effect, but I love the the tagline too, more money, more time, more freedom.
1: So it's it's here's the subtitle, how to do business with people who bring you joy. And the idea is that you will get more money, more time, and more freedom from that. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: that's great. That's great. Can we get into that since you brought up joy uh, in the book? I hope I'm using the right terminology, but you have a framework for business owners related to joy. Can we talk a little bit about that framework? I thought it was just really amazing. I loved it.
1: So I've created what's referred to as a contextual model. It's my own intellectual property. And it's this I identified it as the business owner's evolution of joy, right? It's the phases by which we go through as business owners to get to this point of achieving joy in our business. And and those phases are assess, then value, then identify, strengthen, and engage. And there's five phases, hence the high five effect, right? (laughs) Now, the high five effect has multiple meanings inside the book, right? We can talk about the presence of a high five and what that does for an individual and how the high five has an effect on joy, but also these five phases that are inside the book. And really the first one is assess it. It really just digs into where are you now and where do you want to go? When we get to the second phase of value, it's about valuing yourself and what you offer to the world. And once you stand in that presence and in that power, you really start to bring forward better ideas more creative solutions, start to dig into what I call, you know, inside the identify phase is the client acquisition hierarchy and needs, which is a spin-off of Maslow's hierarchy and needs. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, been so such a we're such a work in progress, Tyler, right? And that's what these five phases are all about. When you're strengthening phase four, you're strengthening everything about yourself everything about your business, everything about your team. And so you're just constantly looking at different angles on how to strengthen the weak points in everything. And then when you're engaging, you are really truly engaging with the process, with the people, with yourself, with your team. It's this whole cyclical effect. And and we grow as business owners through this evolution to get to the point where we're trying to strive to achieve joy. And when we find that joy in our business, when we find people who we can do business, who bring us joy, even surround ourselves with people who bring us joy, we are more joyful ourselves. Part of understanding, it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but think about it for a second. The happier you are by the people you surround yourself with, the happier you become the next day, right? If you surround yourself with people that make you laugh all the time, you are going to be a happier person, right? And when you're a happier person, you're not questioning who you are as a business owner. You're having fun. When you're not questioning who you are as a business owner, you will sell things more for more money and make more money. You will have more time in your business to make decisions and you will have more freedom to choose what you want to do, which is what freedom is. It's the choice. You can choose to work every day. You don't have to work three days like me, right? You can choose to work weekends right? That's your choice. That's what freedom is. It's about the choice. It's not about not working. It's about having the choice to not work or to work or to... Some people like to work on nights and weekends or holidays. Okay, that's your choice. It's not my choice, but it's a choice. That's what freedom is all about.
2: Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. In fact, I'm always fascinated that word freedom when I'm talking with clients. One client might be freedom, to your point, three days a week. To another client, it's like spending all their time doing their trade or whatever they're really good at and doing it for more hours a week because they love it so much, but not getting caught up in numbers or not getting caught up in hiring people and firing people. So to your point, that's a great way of saying it. It's a choice of what you want to do where you're empowered in making that choice. You had a quote in the book. It was in the beginning of the book. And by the way, you gave me the manuscript. I'm so appreciative. Uh, I I felt so important that you gave me an advanced copy. There was a quote in there and it said, And some of you, yeah, I never called you back because you just wanted to pitch me some service you had. And what that really taught me was that's not what to do. Can you talk about that a little bit? I just love that quote.
1: So let me put that in context for the listeners that the dedication of the book, you know, let me just read the dedication of the book so that they have it in full context. I dedicate this book to each and every business owner I've crossed paths with along the way. You've all taught me something. Some of you taught me exactly what it means to have meaningful relationships where we can high five. Some of you taught me about business. Some of you even broke bread or had a few drinks with me. And some of you, yeah, I never called you back because you just wanted to pitch me some service you had. And what that really taught me was what not to do. love it. There is something so gross about that. This is just ridiculous. I call it on LinkedIn, the pitch slap, right? (laughs) It's just gross. And it's not relationship driven at all. And so sometimes I go into networking events or I go onto networking zoom calls and within minutes, people are like, how can we help each other? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Let's discover that. And then they're like, yeah, who, who do you have for contacts in the restaurant world? And I'm like, Whoa, whoa, that's not where I'm going. I, I did a 30 minute one-to-one call with a guy one time learning all about his business, his water filtration business. He had this, these, uh, these oxidizer tanks or something that like in your house for like well pumps. And I have one in my house and I was explaining how I have one. I just kind of, I just had to replace one and his just like gets more of the minerals out. Okay. And um, at the end of the call, I was asking okay, whose idea was like plumbers. Plumbers are great. You know, well companies are great. And uh, I said, yeah, it's been great learning about you. He said, well, I just have one question for you before we go. And I was like, what's that? And he says, when would you be available for me to come out and talk to you about your Water filter system. I said, I, I don't understand. He said, Well, you said you had a water filter system. I said, Yeah. He said, Well, when, when can we set up a time to come out and talk about maybe putting one of mine in? I said, Never. <laughs> and he said, Well, I don't understand. You said you had one. and I said, Yeah, but it's not broke. I don't need what you have. Right. Like there's something so wrong with that. Yeah. And I get this mentality that sales is a numbers game, but None of us want to be sold to. This is the one thing I tell everybody stop asking for referrals. Stop it. Right. At the end of the day, we love to buy. We love to buy stuff all the time, but we never want to be sold, which is exactly why you will never, you will never answer the question when someone says, Who do you know that you can refer me to? You will never give them a name. Because you don't want them selling your contact database of people. Right. But if they said, hey, I'm um, Tyler, I'm looking for an introduction to so-and-so, and that so-and-so was not their client, but their potential referral partner, you'd introduce them all day because now you know they're not going to sell this referral partner. They're going to build a relationship, right? And so ask for introductions, not referrals. There's nothing worse than seeing someone's business card or email signature that says, the best compliment you can give me is a referral to your friends and family. It's not, Tyler. I think the best compliment you can give me is that I'm sexy. <laughs> we'll work on that one.
2: Why is it, you know, or you smell like bacon? <laughs> <laughs> Now you're now you're hitting on something. Yeah, there, there you go. But you know why is it that it's cringy? No doubt when you go to like these tip groups, and you know I'm not going to name names, but you go to these mm-hmm. groups, and you can almost see like the the juices off people's lips in terms of lead possibilities. They're just ready to bite, right? And mm-hmm. it feels cringy. But why is it even LinkedIn? It's like 10x cringy when someone sends you an opening email or message that says. I love what you're about. I love everything you do. Can I connect with you? And you connect with them. And then the next message is set up a 10 minute meeting with me because I want to sell you this. And it, it's like we don't do that in real life. Like you would, ne- or I hope we don't do so that. So
1: the thing about that, Tyler, is those are automated.
2: I do know that.
1: They're using automated tools to do the numbers game. When you connect, then they send a message. I just disconnect.
2: But why do people think that works? I guess is my, is it, is it really just that?
1: They don't think it works. They just think it's a numbers game. Okay. And there are many people in this world who work for other people that require the numbers. Good point. And this is the thing I've always said. If you work for your employer and they require you to do certain things, do those things for the first two years, right? Do what I tell you to do on nights and weekends for the first two years. And you'll never have to do what your employer tells you to do ever again. Love that. Because the relationship building aspect will take some time. And employers who have numbers-based metrics will not wait that time. They just won't. They want results immediately. We were talking a few minutes ago about small business ownership and the comparison between sales and production. And sales isn't producing enough. Well, I got to cover production. That's where the small business owner's mindset is. So they don't give the sales professionals enough time to develop the relationships. Mm. And it takes time. I just had a client the other day asking me, you know, I did a one-to-one and then the next month I reached out and followed up and then I don't hear anything from them and I don't get referrals. I'm like, you talk to them twice. That's like standing on a par five, 485 <laughs> yards, hitting two shots with your club and expecting the ball to go in the hole. It doesn't work like that. This is These are small trust deposits over time. And over time, you know, the work you do now pays off in six months, Tyler. Right. It's just that simple. Otherwise, I don't know. You don't wake up out of bed and just get referrals, people. Yeah. That's not how this works. Yeah. You also don't wake up out of bed and just get sales. Like, Why would you expect that the numbers game would exist on the cold calling side, but not on the networking side, right? I tell most of my clients, if you really want to perform well in, in uh, referrals, what you really need to do is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 30-minute one-to-ones every single week. You need to stay in touch with people. The first book I wrote was all about 45 different tips and tricks on how to stay in touch with other people. If you don't stay in touch with other people, you're not going to get any business. It's real simple, Tyler. How do you outrun a bear?
2: <laughs> probably an automobile. I don't know.
1: <laughs> you don't. You outrun your friend. <laughs> right?
2: That's a good one.
1: And in business, you outrun your competition. Right. right. And the way you outrun them is just by staying in touch. It's why you do email marketing. It's why you do social media marketing. It's why you do paid Google ads because you want to be top of mind. Well, I would argue that if you stay in touch, send messages on LinkedIn, send text messages, send personalized emails, send uh, phone calls, send, and by the way, the hard written, handwritten card, massive amounts of those, you will stand out and you will get referrals. That's how this works.
2: Yeah, that's great wisdom.
1: You have to care about other people. Everybody says that it's the no like, and trust factor. I believe it's the no like, trust, and care about. It's the care component that has to exist in order for you to get referrals. If you care about other people in a way that is meaningful, that you care about their success, and you keep showing up in ways to help them, then they'll show up for you in the success of your business. That's what this whole thing is about. And at the end of the day, don't we want... Those people around us, that's the joy part, right? That's surrounding yourself with the people who are like-minded, like Jim Rohn said. It's basic stuff, right? It's easy to understand, but not so simple to implement.
0: If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business.
1: And at the end of the day, don't we want those people around us? That's the joy part, right? That's surrounding yourself with the people who are like-minded, like Jim Rohn said. It's basic stuff, right? It's easy to understand, but not so simple to implement.
2: Yeah, I love the way you articulate it though. I mean, it's so logical. I even love the part you say, do it the bad way for two years and do it the right way on weekends. And then you'll never have to do it again because that that really resonates. And I do agree, a lot of those are automated tools, but I think sadly, I think sometimes it's actually people doing it with non-automated tools too, because they think it works or they do believe it's a numbers game. And it's just weird because we just don't do that in face-to-face relationships is the other thing.
1: So here's what I just decided. Yeah. Right now, where you were explaining that. Yeah, yeah. I used to just disconnect, and I would like reply "gross" and then just <laughs> disconnect from LinkedIn. Right now, I'm gonna say, "Did you say pizza?" Question mark. Because I love pizza. Did you say pizza? Question mark. Let's see what they say.
2: You're hilarious. It's so good. It's bacon, pizza, and and calling you sexy or it seem to be like the three <laughs> the three triggers with you. So I'll just keep that in my back pocket. There's a title for the
1: podcast. <laughs>
2: This is going downhill fast. Hey, so going a little bit more into like uh, social selling, LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, one thing I struggle with and and a question I have for you is conversation starters or engaging that conversation so you don't come off like you're trying to sell someone something and you're generally interested in them. Do you have some tips around developing online conversation starters and what are some good tactics and methods?
1: So first of all, let me just give you the very first easiest social selling tip of all that no one uses. You need to have a calendar scheduling tool for this to work. So it's security okay. or Book Like a Boss or, or Calendly is- or yeah. whatever, right? So once you have one of those tools, this works perfectly. You just go to LinkedIn Messenger and you send messages to people that are active, right? So on the feed, they're posting or commenting or liking something. You send them messages and you say, hey, I've got some changes in my business that just happened. I'd love to share them with you and I'd love to hear what you're up to. Do you have 15 or 20 minutes next week to, to schedule a zoom chat? When I sold the agency, that's the exact message I sent out. I sent out to 50 people and I got 46 meetings. Wow. Short meetings. I didn't see. sell them nothing, but just wanted to tell them what I was up to. Super simple. And Of the few people that question whether or not there was a sales pitch here, I was like, no, this is, I'm just want to update you what I'm doing. I made some changes and uh, we haven't talked in a while. I'd love to hear what you're doing. People love to talk about themselves, Tyler.
2: Yeah. That's
1: why you have a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's the easiest thing. So I just encourage you to do that. If you have a calendar scheduling tool, that's a very simple way of booking people on your calendar. Second thing. Yeah. Rather than create a conversation, how about you engage in the conversation and flip it into a Zoom meeting? So you go where someone's posting, you comment authentically about what they posted about, then you move over to Messenger and say, hey, I saw your post. I commented there. I was really intrigued by what you were writing, and uh, I'd love to learn more about that service you're offering. I'm not sure I'm a customer for it. But maybe I know some people who are either A, customers, or B, business partners that could help refer you. So what you're doing is you're asking to help them, right? You're not selling them anything. And really, as I translate that, what you are doing is caring about them. Now, this is the core component, Tyler, because if you care about them and you are not trying to sell them something, your time will come. But are you patient enough to invest in other people so that they can invest in you? Yet in sales, mostly what we think about is making the sale. We don't think about investing in other people. So when it comes to social selling, we have to first be social. Then we can sell. And too often we're trying to lead with the sales conversation initially. Right. Just engage. Engage in the platforms. Have a real conversation.
2: Yeah. Throw away the what's in it for me type mentality mentality. And more about who you're talking to and how, you know, what they're about. I think just to paraphrase what I'm hearing you say.
1: Yeah, well, my mentor, Bruce cirkel wrote a great book years ago called All About You. And he was a marketing and branding guy. But the reality is in sales, it is all about you. It's all about the other person. And if I can focus my efforts on that, then I am going to be more successful in the long run. But can I wait? Can I be patient? That's going to be the key.
2: So it's clear you have just a wealth of knowledge in, in networking and developing relationships. I've seen you talk about the seven sins of networking, and I think a little bit you've talked about it here. I'd be curious, are there some other mistakes you see in networking that people make that we can avoid?
1: Absolutely. So let me just give you one of my biggest pet peeves, which we haven't seen in you know roughly two years due to the pandemic. But you go to an event, an in-person event, and you meet the guy or gal in the room who, before you even get your name out, has their business card out to give to you. I refer to this person as the Pez dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> they literally are trying to get rid of every business card they have because that's the game. And I, I had this happen to me once. I went to a trade show as a, as a web company, I was walking the floor and a guy walked out, his name was Sean, stepped out of his booth and attempted to hand me a card and I knew shushan was, because he was competition. So I said, thanks, I'm all set. And he said, you don't want my car? And I said, no, I'm good. And he said, well, surely you know someone that does websites. And I looked at him, or someone that needs websites. I looked at him, and then I pointed to my embroidered shirt that said Central Mass Web Design on it. He was so clueless that he didn't even look at the attire I was wearing. And I talk about this in my book, that you have to listen, not just with your ears, but also with your eyes. Yeah. Pay attention. And so people like that really hurt their own brand in situations like this, right? Because it's a true challenge to, to understand, to, to just give without the expectation of getting anything in return. And that, that's a powerful piece of messaging that I think people need to really understand. That's the biggest sin I see all the time. The second sin is sort of subconscious, right? It's around the idea that results should happen immediately. I've talked a little bit about that already. This entitlement aspect of networking, that if I go to this event, I'll get an opportunity and I might close a deal. And if I go to enough events, I'll get enough opportunities and I'll, I'll make my numbers. But that's not how this works. The problem is that most people are looking for their clients at these events. Clients refer one to three people a year partners, centers of influence refer, excuse me, one to three people over a lifetime. Partners are in, in centers of influence refer one to three people a year.
2: Big difference.
1: Most people think their clients refer, but the partners are the ones that really refer. And so what you need to be doing is going to these events and not even looking for clients, looking for your sources of referrals, your, your centers of influence. Those are the people you want to be building relationships with at these networking events. Because why wouldn't you go to the well? Yeah. See most people think clients refer but they're not in a position to refer and frankly Tyler they want to keep you to themselves. Right. Subconsciously they they don't want to share you.
2: Been there done that. Yep.
1: Right? So on the partner side you go to the well they they want to refer you and they're talking to the decision maker that you talk to all the time. It makes the most sense. So build out your So those are two core of the seven deadly sins that people do all the time.
2: Good stuff. Hey, I've got two fun questions before we wrap up. One is in regards to books that either you've read or you're reading. Can you give us one just uh, that you've enjoyed or you're enjoying?
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to throw in two. Uh, (laughs) The first of which is Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. And I just sort of mentioned briefly just a minute ago. What I took away from that book, that was the ability to give without the expectation of getting anything in return. I highly recommend it. Love that one. And I have dozens and dozens of copies of that book that I give out to friends. It's a fantastic book. So Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. The second book is Profit First by Mike McAllowitz. Mm. That book will change the game on how you actually earn revenue. But really what it does is change the game of your mindset of how you think about money and I have incorporated Profit First, but like sort of in my personal life. So Mike wrote this book. He's, I don't know how you want to describe it, but to me, it's a bit of the Dave Ramsey on the personal side, because it was the envelope and paid on your debt type of thing. Mike took some of those principles, you know, modified them for business, and they really started really flipping this idea of money upside down in a business. And when I implemented it in 2017, I made the most profit I had ever made in my agency. As a solopreneur, I practice profit first every single month. And I can't wait to get my profit first check from my quarterly distribution account for myself because I get to spend it on anything I want other than my business. I love it. And uh, shameless self-promotion on that. (laughs) <laughs> Mike has endorsed my new book. I saw that. Yeah. So I was super excited about that because he's, you know, he's all about small business success. And big time. Someday I'll have to come back on the podcast and tell you how I built a relationship with Mike. It'd be a first name basis in a way that's so unique, so dramatic, that he'll never forget who I am. What a hook. <laughs> I did it with gifts. And it was amazing and it worked. And now you know cell phones. I have a cell phone number, right? It's cool. That's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. He's a great dude.
2: I saw on your webpage that he was one of the people that wrote about your book. And I gotta be honest, the first thing I thought is, wow, that you know this guy. That's pretty impressive. And when you, you know, it's funny when you were talking about the 10% on payroll, it clicked in my mind. I got I am like, this has got a profit the first type. Theme to it, and I was about to say that when you were talking about it earlier in the show. So it all makes sense yeah. now. I I'm dying to hear your gift thing. I'll definitely save it for our next discussion,
1: or maybe or maybe we save it for the after show, Tyler. <laughs> That's good. Good hook.
2: Good hook. Hey, so I want to wrap up with one last thing. Is uh, do you have some type of life tip or business tip that you can share with us that we can apply and, and an actionable type tip that comes to mind that you haven't you've already shared a ton of them, but I'd love to wrap up with one.
1: So I think it's as basic. I mentioned it before, but I want to bring it full circle, right? Sure. To give to other people. And let me explain why that matters. In 1909, Milton Hershey, the guy, the benefactor of the chocolate bar, decided he, he and his wife could not have kids. So they took their entire fortune and put it in a school for disadvantaged kids and orphans in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Most people have never heard of the school. And uh, it's called the Milton Hershey School. And most people just know Hershey for the chocolate. What they don't realize is that when they buy chocolate, the profits from the Hershey Chocolate Company feed into the trust because the majority shareholder of the company is the trust, the trust that controls the school and all the amusement and hotels in town. That school is a private tuition-free boarding school for disadvantaged kids, kindergarten through 12th grade. And I was lucky enough to go to that school. I'm the youngest of three boys, the first to graduate high school and the only one not to go to prison. That school changed my life. And while I was there, I learned about community service and service to others and and giving. And and what Milton Hershey did for so many kids, over 11,000 kids have attended that school now since 1909. It's changed the trajectory of many, many kids in Pennsylvania and even farther. And I learned about giving. I don't care how you give, just give. It does not, if you don't have the money to give, then give your time, right? I mentor people. I give money, but I give time. And I've given time many, many, many times. That's what I believe is we should give our time.
2: Yeah, that's a great one. That's just powerful. Yeah, powerful story. That story is in the book too, or at least yep. the part about Hershey that got you started. Hey, so I will put your new book website is High Five Effect, and five is spelled out. It's not the number High Five Effect. E F F E C T dot com. I'll put it in the show notes. Is there anywhere else where people should be going in terms to reach out?
1: Yeah, so they can go to MattWardSpeaks com that would be uh, great. They can reach out to me. I'm Matt Workspeaks speaks on just about every social channel out there. I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I spend most of my time on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me over there. Yeah. And that's pretty much where I am. You know, Tyler, I, um, i really, really enjoyed being on your podcast, man. You're a blast. It's, it's a lot of fun and, and I love your questions. You're fully prepared. I appreciate you reading the book. I'm honored. And, uh, as I like to say, so I do all these videos every week, right? Just on networking tips and stuff. It's, it's a total, total blast. But I like to say at the end of every video, don't forget to live happy, smile a lot and high five everyone around you.
2: (laughs) High five. Okay. That's great. And and bacon, I guess we'll throw in there too, right? Bacon, (laughs) (laughs) Maybe pizza too. Okay. Hey, uh, can't thank you enough, Matt. Love having you on. You're definitely going to be back maybe after the book becomes a bestseller, which I think will probably take a month or two. You can circle back and we can have another conversation.
1: Awesome. I appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Matt.
0: Cast.